Well, the last time I preached in this pulpit was March 3rd, 2020. Seven months and 11 days ago. We were less than a week into the Lenten season with no clue about what season we were about to enter. And I preached on the wilderness in that sermon. <laughs> and I said these words, the wilderness is a place of deprivation and dependence, a place where we feel lost. You can't just read a book about it. You can't take a class on it. You just have to go through it. And then 10 days later on a Friday, we shut the doors and went home for a very long Lent. This year has been a struggle for so many people, a wilderness, a global wilderness of sorts. And those whose lives have been turned upside down in one way or another have been thrown into chaos by a tiny, invisible foe. This is unprecedented. I mean, that's, that's what my emails keep telling me. Uh, greetings to you, I hope you're well in these unprecedented times. But what if this is not so unprecedented? What if I told you that there was a virus that had infected humanity far before any of us had heard the name coronavirus, before modern medicine, before any diagnostic tools could tell us what we were facing, and that despite people throughout time working for treatments and cures, this virus has a 100% infection rate, and if left untreated, 100% mortality rate. It began, innocently enough, with a piece of fruit. A single fruit and a single person who, upon eating that fruit, found herself infected. And the first sign of the insidious and terribly contagious nature of this virus showed itself when, without any social distancing measures, her husband found himself infected as well. And this disease, it turns out, was not only chronic, it was hereditary. By the next generation, the viral load had multiplied so greatly that its symptoms grew from compulsive fruit eating to fratricide, the murder of one's own brother. That's a pretty fast progression of symptoms, if you ask me. And these symptoms began to spread from generation to generation. And as humanity grew and spread across the earth, so did the virus with them. A tiny invisible parasite living off its host. And there were so many hosts and so many terrible symptoms. And within just a few chapters of human history, here's the headline. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. I mean, do you get the severity of those words? Great wickedness, every inclination, only evil all the time. This virus had spread and spread until it had reached every person, every corner, every thought, every motivation and inclination, and it did not take a break. It was there all the time. So with this virus now coursing unchecked through the veins of every human being, with it, the chaotic waters 
that have been so carefully separated for human life and all other life to thrive, those waters came crashing back together. They flooded the earth with unchecked turmoil, wiping out parasite and host alike. A method certain to flatten the curve, if you will. But God, God had hope. He, he looked at humanity and saw one family, and he thought, maybe things will be different with them. So Noah and his family rode out this storm in a boat built with faithfulness. Surely, surely when the storm was over, they could be faithful after the earth had been washed clean. But once the water subsided, it became clear that the Noah family tested positive too. That this family carried deep within them the same sickness, the same symptoms, the ones that would not stay hidden for long. And this became a new realization that this was a new beginning for creation and for humanity, but it was also a new beginning for the virus to spread again around the world, to cover the earth. What could be done to stop it? One of the greatest moments of um, signs of multiplication, one of the greatest monuments built to this virus would appear just a few chapters down the road in human history. When humans began to use their gifts, their wisdom, their tools that they were developing, and to use them to organize and concentrate the effects of this virus, building it a monument higher and higher into a tower to make a name for themselves. Evil did not want to hide. It wanted a tower high in the sky for all to see. So instead of humanity, the pinnacle of all God's creation, being content with its role as image bearers, reflecting the light of God, making God's name great, they instead wanted to build a tower to make a name for themselves. Instead of using the gifts, the community, the unity they had, the organization, even their new technology, which was a brick, to make God's name known, they wanted their names lifted higher and higher, and instead of filling the earth with God's glory, they wanted to stay put in a concentrated spot where they could grow their own assets and interests. But God saw it. He recognized the symptoms right away. This was a super-spreading event. He broke into their connection with each other. He confused their language so they would have to spread over the earth. And the communication between people was so confusing that they began babbling at each other, unable to understand, unable to communicate. And for any of you that has ever looked at any other human being and thought to yourself, I just don't understand you, that symptom is happening still. Relationships broken. The once centralized human community dispersed. And so social distancing was born. This was a time when humanity thought that they could win over God's will with their own will. But God wouldn't let that happen. It was a battle back and forth, a rising of the curve and a flattening of the curve, but the curve never seemed to go away. And for many years after this, 
God's people would work on virus management. They would try to come up with ways to live within this global pandemic that had resulted. They worked hard at making rules that would stop the spread of the virus. Among those rules were hand washing, rules about eating, what to eat and who you could eat with, rules about distancing from people who showed symptoms or whose symptoms were more obvious than your own. They identified people who seemed symptomatic to them, and they began to close borders and create travel bans and say things like, don't even go through Samaria, because you know they've got it bad. Let's keep to ourselves over here. If they could just stay clean on the outside, they reasoned, then this awful virus would not have a place in their own bodies, their own families, their own communities. But it turned out there was no amount of washing up on the outside that could stop it. Not if you sang happy birthday 20 times while you washed your hands could you make this go away. It was an infection deep in the human heart that was a source. And the more people declared themselves, oh, I'm symptom free, the more secret symptoms they seemed to have that would destroy them. You might be able to avoid the appearance of the virus, but hidden sin would eat at you from within. Even as you pointed your finger at the symptoms of others and said things like, I thank my God that I'm not infected like they are, it turned out that even that statement was a symptom of what was going on inside of you. These kind of words separations, declarations, were clear and deadly symptoms that people did not get it. And the less they got it, the more the virus spread. Communities that focused on the outward appearance of purity were sometimes those that were riddled with inner symptoms, trying so hard to avoid the appearance of the virus that they missed the point entirely. Because no symptom of distancing or washing up was foolproof, that virus would always sneak in. And so once you came into contact with it, people tried to develop treatments. It always involved cleansing people's blood. And it required the blood of one to cover the other, clean blood to cover the blood of the infected. Animals were sacrificed to make people clean again. A lamb would lose its life so that you could get yours back again. But it was temporary. It always wore off. There was always a new infection popping up. It was just a tiny human response to an overpowering epidemic. And the sobering truth was 100% of people had it. It was in their blood. It was in their genes. And the awful thing that no one wanted to admit out loud was this. It was fatal 100% of the time. The wages of the virus was debt. All of us have it. All of us have fallen short. All of us need cleansing. And it seemed to be every human was infected. And so people began to assume that to be human was to be infected. No one can remember back to the first humans made clean and healthy. And now no one tested negative. No one was healthy, not even one. Until one day there was one. Just. Mm -hmm. 
of catching it at all. He he didn't follow the protocols put in place by those who were obsessed over washing and distancing and paying close attention to the company they kept to keep the virus out. While everyone could see the signs and symptoms of this virus raging, he seemed to ignore their rules and to go beyond their borders to help the people who had it. Instead of keeping those distancing measures so that people would know that he was clean and better than others, he seemed to seek out the infected, the symptomatic, those who could not heal themselves. He ate in their homes. They gathered in crowds around him. He he invited them into his closest circle. And again and again, he sought them out in private and in public, seemingly unconcerned with proximity to the infected and what it could do to his body or his reputation. When those who were working hard at keeping outward appearances of health nagged him about his behavior, he told them very clearly, it is not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. And I have come not to call the righteous, but to call sinners. And so it wasn't just his aim to keep them company. He made it clear he was there to heal. He was there to be a physician. That's what he named himself. And those weren't just empty words either. I'll give you just one example among so many. This one time, he was approached by a leper, somebody who had the virus so badly that they couldn't even live close to anyone else the worst of the infected. This was someone whose nerves had become so deadened, so diseased that his extremities had lost all feeling. He he couldn't feel the effects of cold or heat or injury. He couldn't feel the pain that was supposed to protect him. And so the injuries that he encountered tore at him and his body began to fall apart. You could see it when he walked near. And you did not want to get close to that. What was more tragic than a disease that makes you so desensitized to pain and danger that you become a danger to yourself? And this man, we're told, he didn't just have a little bit of it. He was covered with it. When he saw Jesus, he didn't back away. He didn't cry out as he'd been taught to do, unclean, don't come close. When he saw Jesus, knowing his reputation, and his calling as a physician, he came near. He got closer. This was a disaster waiting to happen. I mean, just to be in this man's presence meant that you were a goner, unclean, ostracized from society, unacceptable to people and to God. So it was imperative to stay away from him. When he began to approach Jesus, I can imagine that everyone else began to back away. When the man came towards Jesus, he fell on his face in front of him, and he said these heart-wrenching words, the words of the sick and desperate. Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And then the most incredible thing happened. Jesus didn't recoil. He didn't run away. He didn't, like, zap from a distance. Jesus reached out. And he touched him. Imagine what it would be like to see that happen. Everyone's skin must have crawled. Everyone just knew that the unseen particles of virus 
were crawling up Jesus's arms to infect him and that that man's own decaying flesh would soon be a sign on Jesus as well. Surely Jesus was a goner. Everyone held their breath, I'll bet even the leper himself. But as he touched him, Jesus spoke these words. I am willing. Be made clean. And instead of the leper transmitting a virus to Jesus, when he touched him, Jesus transmitted healing and love and wholeness and forgiveness and shalom, all of it flowed in that direction and filled that man. The good in Jesus was so much more contagious than anything negative in that man, that it overtook his body at a cellular level, soul deep. He was transformed, and he was no longer a leper, but a child of God. Jesus walked around demonstrating this again and again, how grace was more contagious than sin, how healing was more contagious than illness. He commanded his followers to do the same thing. He said, you and you and you, go eat with the sick. Go to their homes. Go seek them out. Come back. Tell me how it went. To say that was scandalous and shocking is a total understatement. But nothing was as shocking as when they discovered his plans for a vaccine. They had gotten a little bit of the message all along. They had known that part of the secret would be that to reverse the blood of the infected, you needed clean blood. Jesus fulfilled that need, clean blood, to cover the blood of the infected by willingly dying for them. The one person alive who had never had the disease died of it. Not not of the infection, but died of his own willingness, his own sacrifice, his own decision to put himself in their place, clean blood for the blood of the infected. And get this, those who, like the leper, would bow and say, if you are willing, Lord, you can make me clean, that was all it took to receive the vaccine No FDA approval, no amount of money, no amount of politicizing, just the willingness to receive the sacrifice of the willing. And he told his followers, go thou and do likewise. When I began feeling a tug from the Holy Spirit to preach today on sin as a virus, and Jesus' grace as a cure, I had, we might say, some reservations. I told God no, that he could send me a different sermon, please. <laughs> See, we are, we are all in the middle still of a global pandemic, something that we have never experienced before in this generation. And the difficulties, the suffering, the losses, the grief, the anxiety, the fear, those are very present and very real. And I did not want to be disrespectful or to spiritualize something that is a very physical and sobering reality. I don't want to be that preacher. Do you know what I mean? 
the one who distills everything out there into some spiritual lesson that can be written on marquee letters on the church sign outside, the one who says, make sure you test positive for faith. I mean, I, I don't wanna be that preacher. Don't be that preacher. <laughs> don't let your church get one of those signs. But the more I thought about it, while, while 2020 will definitely be remembered for the coronavirus, there have been a lot of struggles this year with the original virus. I mean, it's been in our faces, in our families, in our neighborhoods. It's been on the news. You cannot ignore it. It is building a tower to itself. We have had to evaluate the why behind all kinds of things in our lives. When we can't do the things we normally do or go the places we normally go, see the people we normally see, we've had to take stock, haven't we? And we've had to reassess our motivations and our own hearts. And when we look there, we find spots. We've struggled to love our neighbors like never before. We've seen the curtain pulled back to reveal a new wave of an old and terrible epidemic of racism. We've seen more symptoms of selfish behavior and a partisanship that demonizes and divides. And this metaphor of sin as a virus, it's not new. I'll I'll tell you more in a moment about a historical figure who used that, but I think in a year when we are so affected by this unseen foe, even as our attention is on a very real and present physical virus. We need to be more aware of both the symptoms and the cure and our role as physicians to take the cure to others. This metaphor is not new, and and the reality that we face is not new. We're, We're more than ever aware of the reality of the unseen among us and the reality behind the realities that are driving things. Wash your hands, wear your mask, Dr. Fauci says. You can't see what endangers you. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, Paul says, but against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. It reminds us that the enemy may be in us, but the enemy is not us. Our world is pushing us more than ever to direct our anger and our hatred at people, not at the virus, at the host, to react somehow, um, to win in arguments, to demonize others, to act like this is to mirror the behavior of the very disease that we hate And listen, friends, people are not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy. We don't treat people with anger or hate or malice. We treat with love and compassion. It's a treatment. When we see people displaying symptoms, we have to first remind ourselves that we have the same affliction. And how we react to them will determine what kind of contagiousness we are giving off. What are you spreading? What are you sharing? Also, as Wesleyans, we we believe that Christ has brought both treatment and cure. We believe that he can give forgiveness and remedy to our symptoms, but that he also goes straight to the root of our hearts. He can take away our bent to sinning 
and cleanse us from even the desire to sin. Do you believe that? Then seek it. Run hard after that. We're not immune, none of us. We are often like lepers so desensitized to the problems within us that we don't realize the damage that has been done. And without that sensitivity to protect us, we injure ourselves and others. I almost passed on what God was offering me today. I told him, send me another sermon, and he, of course, pushed back and said no. But then I came across this hymn, this poem, really, by a man named John Newton, who's best known for writing the words to the well-known hymn, probably the best-known hymn, Amazing Grace. He was a former slave ship captain, and Newton's powerful conversion to Christianity made him so mindful of the extreme forgiveness he had received that he was a blessing to many. And to paraphrase Jesus's words, um, he who has been forgiven loves much. He who has been the sickest is most thankful for the cure and offers it to others. So I want to leave you with these words before we come to this healing table together uh, from John Newton's hymn, The Great Physician, a reminder that even in the midst of a pandemic, God offers healing and grace. How lost was my condition till Jesus made me whole. There is but one physician can cure a sin-sick soul. The worst of all diseases is light compared with sin. On every part it seizes, but rages most within. Tis palsy, plague, and fever, and madness all combined, and none but a believer the least relief can find. Come then to this physician. His help he'll freely give. He makes no hard condition. Tis only look and live. Lord, if you are willing, make us clean. Amen.